Well, good morning and welcome to this gathering of Crossway Church. In the Bible, uh, many significant events occur on mountains. This is probably why in our lives we sometimes refer to significant experiences as mountaintop experiences. Probably the most familiar and dramatic example in Scripture is the appearance of God on Mount Sinai, first to Moses in the burning bush, and then again later to the nation when the law was given. On Mount Carmel, God answered Elijah's prayer by sending fire to consume the sacrifice and even the altar, defeating the false prophets of Baal. And we can think of Satan's temptation of Jesus when he took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, saying, all this I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. Our scripture text today brings us to another important mountain. It is called the Mount of Transfiguration. And it was the location of what was undoubtedly a mountaintop experience for the disciples who were with the Lord on this occasion. Please turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 17. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you'll find one under the chair in front of you. And in my text, there's a blank that says the page number that it's in that book. So when someone finds it, please let me know, and I'll share that with you. 822. See, that's advanced preparation. <laughs> If you don't have a Bible of your own uh, and you like this one, please feel free to keep it as our gift to you. Please read along with me. Matthew 17, starting in verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. The story starts here with after six days. Well, six days after what? Well, last week, Richard talked about the part of the story where Jesus asked his disciples a crucial question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Matthew continues a few verses later. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So we are six days after that event. The disciples believe that Jesus is the Messiah, as Peter correctly confessed. But it is clear they still don't understand yet all that he said about going to Jerusalem and being rejected and condemned and to die. They are expecting a Messiah who will live up to their expectations. Clearly, Jesus understands his role as Messiah much differently. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John and leads them up a high mountain. And verse 2 tells us he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. In the Old Testament, Moses' face shone because it reflected some of God's glory with whom he had been speaking. But here, Jesus' face shone because he was transfigured, which means it was his own glory that was being made visible for the disciples' benefit. This is the only occasion during his time on earth that Jesus' glory is made in a dazzling and spectacular way, truly visible to the disciples. What an amazing impression that must have made on them. And if that wasn't enough, then Matthew tells us, then there appeared Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, what is the significance of Moses and Elijah here? Why these two? You see, these two were recognized as the representatives of God's word to Israel. Moses, the lawgiver, and Elijah was the first prophet in a series of prophets bringing God's word to the people of Israel. So they were significant to Israel's past, but also associated with its future. And here both men stand with Jesus, indicating that he is the culmination of all that the law and the prophets stood for. Now, it's instructive to us what happens next. Have you ever known one of those people that just have to be part of the conversation? They are just so into what's going on, and their emotions are just running so high. They've just got to say something, and they just don't always engage that filter between their brain and their mouth before they say it. Well, I think that's what Peter was like here. Peter says, if you can imagine the situation, Lord, it's good that we're here. Uh, If you like, you know, I can make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I mean, Mark's telling of this event relates that Peter did not know what to say for they were terrified. He just has to say something. And if you think about the events we talked about six days earlier, 
Peter had just been rebuked by Jesus, and he was probably hoping to do a little better this next time. But he says exactly the wrong thing. The point of what was happening here was that Jesus was being shown to be the unique son of God, the king of glory. Moses and Elijah were there to honor him. But Peter's suggestion to build tents or temples for all three of them essentially puts them on the same footing as Jesus. And this time, it was God the Father himself who corrects Peter. Verse 5 tells us, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. It would have been impossible for any Jewish listener or reader of the text later to miss the importance of this event. The bright cloud would surely suggest to them the Shekinah glory cloud of the Old Testament, indicating that God himself was present to speak as he had spoken to the people of Israel before. This event also compares with the moment of supernatural revelation at Jesus' baptism when he came up out of the water and heard from heaven above, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now there, those words from God were mostly for Jesus, making clear his identity as Messiah, King, and suffering servant. But here, these words, which are an echo of Psalm 2-7 and Isaiah 42, are for and to the disciples to help them understand that even though Jesus is the Messiah, he still must also go to Jerusalem to be rejected and die. What's new here is the command from God to the disciples, listen to him, maybe directly to Peter who was still speaking when God interrupted him. This part echoes Deuteronomy 18.15, where Moses had already told the people of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Clearly, by God's command, Jesus is set apart as different from Moses and Elijah. Jesus is not just a servant of the word as Moses and Elijah were. Jesus is the Father's word. So the command for the disciples and for us, listen to him. Now the verses that follow this command are interesting. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. In a way, the entire gospel is presented in these words. Hear the good news. God himself has come to us and sent his son. The son has gripped us, demanded our attention, told us to get on our feet 
and don't be afraid anymore. Jesus shines in the world not just to shine, not to impress us with his importance, at the end of the day, not even to make us obedient in fear. Jesus shines to bring light to the world, light that saves us, light that puts us back on our feet and enables us to breathe again so that we can shine with him. Our shining is to live is to live out his will, even as he lived out the Father's will. It is to fulfill what Jesus said to his disciples. You are the light of the world. We are light when we hear Jesus' words, when we listen to him, and we put those words into practice. Finally, when Peter, James, and John look up again, they saw no one but Jesus. These words kind of show a return to normal in the scene. But more importantly, they show the superiority of Jesus. The presence of Moses and Elijah was only temporary, both in the past and now here in this incident. Moses and Elijah are gone. The forerunners have done their task. They can disappear now that the principal figure has arrived. The Messiah has come onto the stage. They must yield their place to him who brings in this new age, to him who fulfills both of them. Jesus had taught this himself when he said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Peter was so impressed by what he experienced that day that he wrote years later, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. What could be more relevant to us today? We often hear people when they're in a crisis in their lives, say something like, don't just stand there, do something. But one theologian says when he's faced with circumstances and things and truths of God's revealed scripture, he thinks, don't just do something, stand there. Or as God has said to Peter, don't just say something, Listen to Jesus. We as Christians, we do need to speak. The Bible needs to be taught, and it is what we as ministers of the word are called to do. We should all be witnessing and spreading the good news. But it is not activity that we need so much as to hear the words of Christ. 
as we go through these next few weeks leading into Holy Week and our Easter celebration, remember this message. For Matthew uses it to make a very deliberate comparison in his gospel. Here on this mountain, Jesus is revealed in glory. Later, on a hill outside Jerusalem, Jesus will be revealed in humiliation. Here, his clothes are shining white. There, they will have been bloodied and stripped off, and soldiers will be gambling for them. Here, he is flanked by the majestic figures of Moses and Elijah, two of Israel's greatest. There, he is flanked by two criminals, two of Israel's lowest. Here, a bright cloud overshadows the scene. There, darkness comes upon the land. Here, Peter blurts out how wonderful it all is. And there, Peter's hiding in shame and fear because he's denied Christ. Here, a voice from God himself declares, this is my beloved son. There, the son is forsaken by the father. There is a sense in which this mountaintop explains that hilltop. So like Peter, we must learn to see the glory in the cross and the cross in the glory. We need to recognize on both hilltops the same power, love, and beauty within Jesus that God wants for us. We need to hear it in his voice on the mountain as he talks to Moses and Elijah and comforts the disciples. And we need to hear it when he cries out from the cross. And we need to hear it when he tells us to take up our cross and follow him. Then, as he promises later in this gospel, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So as the story unfolds over the next few weeks, ask yourself, are you listening to him today? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the amazing transfiguration of your son and the impact that it had on the disciples and the impact that it has on us today. And through it, we can recognize that though he did come as the Messiah, he also purposefully, as part of your plan, came to bear that cross. It was not a mistake. It was not an afterthought. It was your plan, Lord. And though it was very hard for the disciples to understand that, and sometimes hard for us to reconcile it, it is the truth, and it is your plan. And we just pray that as we go through these next weeks and through the rest of our lives, that we focus on listening to the words of Christ and praying for wisdom and understanding all that you have laid out for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.